Tonight, is it time for the right to start embracing identity politics? Then the most recent attack on persecuted Christians in the Middle East. I'm Romy Millennial, and you're watching Uncensored. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today we start off with the topic of identity politics. Now, in modern politics, the left has very effectively used identity politics, specifically toward minority groups like black people, Hispanic people, LGBT members, and of course, women. And many people on the right, and even more broadly, the individualist liberals, have been critical of that strategy. In the golden era of YouTube political commentary, circa 2015 to 2016, there were countless videos made debunking identity politics. It's something I've spoken about before as well. I say a lot of stuff like the left is weaponizing identity politics, identity politics is pulling us apart, etc, etc. I mean, if you've seen my videos before, you know the drill. So among those who are opposed to the progressive left, there's this established push against identity politics. But enter 2018. And now in the conservative sphere, there are movements like Blexit, which was started by Candace Owens, and the Walk Away campaign, which was founded by Brandon Straka. If you aren't familiar with those movements, they're interesting because they share similar goals. To tell the story of people who have left the left and encourage those who have long been considered safe bets for the left and Democratic Party to essentially break rank. Blexit, standing of course for Black Exit, obviously seeks to spread the message that black people don't need to be Democrats and can and should exit from the Democratic Party. And the walkaway movement, whose founder Brandon is openly gay, more broadly encourages walking away from the victimhood narrative that the far left often pushes. Tons of people of all walks of life have shared their stories of how they walked away under the campaign's hashtag on social media. And make no mistake, by many metrics, these movements have been successful. Successful. In addition to their success on social media, Candace's Young Black Leadership Summit through Turning Point USA drew around 400 black conservatives to meet with the Trumps. And the Walk Away March that same weekend drew thousands. Trump's approval rating among black and Hispanic voters is higher than any Republican president has been in a long time, perhaps ever. And yet, yet there are members of the conservative movement who aren't such fans. Tommy Lahren, namely, has been very vocal about condemning any seeming embrace of identity politics by conservatives. According to one tweet she released, quote, Identity politics do not work. The fact that some in the conservative movement are trying to weaponize race and gender is truly disappointing. It's about economic and personal freedom. It's about national and border security. It's limited government. Let the left play the race and gender cards. And she's not the only one who feels that way in response to huge campaigns like Blexit and hashtag walk away. A lot of people have looked at the videos of people saying, I'm black and Republican, or I'm gay and right wing, or I'm Hispanic and love Trump and thought, whoa, uh-uh, I don't like this. I thought identity politics was for the left. Don't want any of that business right here in our right wing corner. So that's what I thought we'd discuss in this video. Are those movements, Blexit and the Walk Away campaign, a sign that the right is falling into identity politics? And if so, is that something that conservatives should be doing? Is it worth it to engage in those sorts of tactics if it means greater electoral success with, well, the minorities? First, I think it's important to define what identity politics actually mean because I feel like there's not a whole lot of consensus going on around that term. The standard definition on Google.com is that identity politics is the, quote, tendency for people of a particular religion, race, social background, etc. to form exclusive political alliances moving away from traditional broad-based party politics. And another definition from Wikipedia 
another very credible source, says that identity politics are positions based on the interests and perspectives of social groups with which people identify. Both of those definitions are important because from the first we see that identity politics relates to exclusive political alliances that are different from broad-based party politics, and in the second we see that identity politics are political positions based on the interests of your social group specifically. What I want people to recognize from that is that there's a difference between saying I'm a woman and I'm a Republican and I'm a woman so I'm a Republican, right? Those are absolutely not the same thing. And by these definitions of what identity politics is, simply saying that I'm biracial and conservative or I'm a woman and conservative is not playing identity politics. I feel like there are people out there who think that any time you mention race or gender or orientation, religion or whatever it is, that you are automatically playing into identity politics, which is just not what that term means. And actually, if you'll allow me for a second, I'm going to expand upon those definitions of identity politics based on what my problems with the concept are. First off, identity politics is all about the idea that you should vote based off of your immutable characteristics. It's not about what principles or values you hold dear, no. It's about what group can give you the most benefits as a woman or a black person or an immigrant. And that, if you ask me, is a very toxic mentality. Because it's not about what you can do for your country, it's about what your political party can do for you, what special treatment they can offer you. And next, identity politics always seems to pick groups against each other. When we're talking about identity politics, it's not just, oh, here's what we can do for black people, here's what we can do for white people. It's black people versus white people gay people versus straight people, rich people versus poor people. Your interests aren't only not the same as people who don't look like you, but they're actually also competing. We see this kind of talk all the time and how the left likes to pit women against men when it comes to things like abortion, the wage gap, or most recently, the concept of innocent until proven guilty. Identity politics behaves as if policy is a zero-sum game. Oh, you held businesses and employers? You must hate workers. Oh, you care about border security? You must hate immigrants. And of course, when we're talking about identity politics, we can't overlook the fact that apparently it's instrumental that your politician or advocate or whoever it is we're talking about shares some immutable characteristic with you in order to represent your interests right? Obviously, only other black people can talk about how to implement policies that improve the lives of black people. It's not possible to, like, I don't know, share the same interests despite coming from different backgrounds or something. Don't be crazy. That's why the progressive left is always complaining about the old white men in power. They're saying that those old white men don't have the right age, skin color, or genitals to know what's best for you. I think most of us would probably agree that those are some of the biggest problems with how the far-left weaponizes identity politics. And I think most of us can also agree that Lexit and Walkaway are not doing those things. They're not doing any of those things. Movements saying, hey, you don't have to be a Democrat if you're black, or hey, you don't have to be liberal if you're gay. And hey, the conservative movement is actually open to everyone and is beneficial to everyone, regardless of your skin color, sex, whatever. That's not identity politics. That's actually the opposite of identity politics. And you know what? Considering that the conservative movement has so many people on the left telling non-white people and women and LGBT folks and immigrants that we hate them, I honestly don't think it's the worst idea for us to address those groups specifically. For us to have targeted outreach to let them know that there is a lot of misinformation out there, but that conservative principles can help their communities like they can help 
every single community out there. You don't have to like Blexit and walk away if you don't want to. Of course, there are valid critiques of any movement and definitely of any leader out there. But I think one thing is certain, and that's that conservatives need something, some change in how they're communicating their message. Because whatever was going on for the past 20 or so years, that sure as heck was not working. Because we all have to admit that it's all well and good to complain that other people out there aren't doing a good enough job, but it's a lot harder to come up with our own ideas of how to reach new voters. The next story I wanted to talk about is the situation that the Coptic Christians in the Middle East have been facing. It should go without saying that being part of a Christian minority in the Middle East is a very different experience compared to what it's like in the West. And on November 2nd, seven Coptic Christians were killed while on a pilgrimage to a monastery and over a dozen were injured. Their bus was ambushed by Islamist militants and the attack was naturally claimed by the Islamic State, a claim which was verified by the Egyptian government. While this attack may have been an ambush, given the violence toward cops in recent years, it's unfortunately anything but surprising. There have been dozens of lethal attacks against the Coptic people. And these attacks aren't just exclusive to shootings. We've also seen attacks like abducting Christian women and forcing them to convert to Islam, then forcing them into marriage, dozens of church burnings, and the infamous suicide bombings. And to make matters worse, the Egyptian government has historically treated the cops as second-class citizens as well. In Egypt, interfaith marriage is illegal, and the country does not officially recognize conversions from Islam to Christianity, and that makes things doubly rough for the abducted Christian women that were mentioned earlier. It also means that any children of Christian converts will be considered Muslim and given a Muslim education. And the government seems to run a racket on permits required for building churches and fixing them, which they apparently withhold when it comes to Christians. There's also the allegations that sometimes the police just don't show up when a Coptic Christian reports a crime. And in the 80s, the government even went so far as to exile the Pope of the Coptic Church and try to get some bishops to elect a new one. But to give the current Egyptian government at least some credit, the Egyptian Interior Ministry is now claiming to have tracked down and killed 19 Islamic State militants who were involved in this attack after a gunfight broke out. The situation for the Coptic Christians isn't exclusive to Egypt, though. Sadly, there are many other Christians in the region in countries like Iraq and Lebanon who also live through similar circumstances. And this is one of the main reasons why I support the idea of favoring persecuted religious minorities when it comes to taking in refugees if underline if we are going to take in people. Because if, and again, if we are going to take in refugees, it should probably be the people, the groups that are in the most danger. Not to mention, in this circumstance, they'd also be much better suited to assimilate into Western societies, considering that they share the majority religion. But I just wanted to give you guys a quick rundown of that most recent attack and ask that you please keep these people in your prayers. But that's it for now. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.